0: Four-ish years. Um, we came right before um, we had our son, Jonas, who is four years old, um, and so we—that's how I judge the time. That's about how long we've been here. Um, so I am excited to be um, teaching this class with you guys today. I am a high school theater teacher at Good Pasture, and then I also lead preschool praise um, here at Otter Creek. And so I seriously considered like making you guys all stand up and like sing a song with motions with me, so that like I would feel more comfortable. But I decided not to put you through that, so you're welcome. So we'll just jump right into Jude. Ooh. Yay! <laughs> Everybody got really excited about Jude. So I, um, I'm i a theater teacher, which means I was a theater major in college, which means that my college experience was special and different and crazy. And like I was at theaters at theater, 3 o'clock in the morning focusing lights while my other friends were just like writing papers. Um, so one of the things um, in theater and in these acting classes that I took is that what usually actors try to do is to choose characters <clears throat> who are similar or relatable to themselves in some way. So if you have a play, you're going through the characters, you're trying to decide which character you would be considered for, a lot of times you go with the characters that are most relatable to you because that's what you're going to connect with. Um, so one of my advanced acting professors had us jumping into some teamwork And the first day that we were in the class, he was like, go ahead and pick the character that's most relatable to you, the character that you feel like you would be best at. And so we were like, yeah, absolutely. So we all wrote down our characters. We felt so excited about it. Came into class the next time, we were like, let's do this. And he was like, JK, you're all playing the opposite character. So like, whatever character you picked, I made sure that you had the different character, because I want to grow you. I want you to have that experience of having something that you don't really super connect with. And that is what I felt the first time I read Jude, (laughs) after Patrick was like, hey, can you speak on Jude? And I was like, yes, New Testament, hope, joy, love, positivity, brotherly love, (laughs) Jude. Ancient warning, Old Testament stories you never heard of because they're in the book of Enoch, which is... Spoiler alert, not in our current Bible. And I was like, oh, okay, this is all new. This is all new. Um, So here's where we're at. So this is me being very open and vulnerable with you as we step into Jude together, um, that this is um, a new experience for me. Um, But I'm, I'm very excited about it. And honestly, once I kind of really started diving into some of the things more specifically, I really feel like in some ways Jude kind of feels... The same way. So to start off with, if I have a volunteer that would like to read verses one through four, that would be amazing. Just that first little section. I will. Beautiful.
1: Go for (laughs) it. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James, to those who have been called, who are loved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ, mercy, peace, and love be yours in abundance. Dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt compelled to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to God's holy people. For certain individuals whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They are ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into a license of immorality and deny Jesus Christ our only sovereign
0: and Lord. Okay. So that's the beginning of Jude. So um, according to some scholars, most scholars, a few scholars, um, Jude was written by Judah, who's actually the human brother of Jesus, so grew up with um, Mary and Joseph and with Jesus. Um, did not believe at first, um, but then after Jesus' death and then resurrection, Became a follower of Christ and became a traveling teacher or missionary. Um, And so this is the author of Jude. And um, what I found interesting in this passage is that this is not what he originally wanted to write about. Um, He says that he wanted to write about salvation. So I think right off the bat, this is not the letter that he intended to write. Um, But... There were some things happening. There were, and I think the only word that he uses certain individuals. Which is such like a like a call out without being a call out. You know what I mean? Like it doesn't even get as specific as like some of the other stuff that we've talked about. Like it doesn't say false teachers, it doesn't necessarily say false prophets. It just says certain individuals. It's like when as a teacher I'm like some of you. are not listening. I'm not going to say your name because I'm not, you know what I mean? Like it's like that. So he says certain individuals um, are leading people astray. Um, They've secretly slipped in among you. They're ungodly people. They pervert the grace of God. Um, And so he writes this letter in order to help us contend for the faith. He wants us to contend for the faith. Um, And we're going to get back to that in a minute because he doesn't really tell us how. He wants to contend for the faith right there. Um, he goes on to give us some examples. Um, but first, I wanted us to kind of spend a little bit of time with that certain individuals. Because I was like, who are these individuals? Like, who are we talking about? Like, that's the first thing I had to figure out, right? Was that I was like, okay, so obviously he has someone in mind. Who is he talking about? So it turns out that Jude and Second Peter are very closely related. They're kind of talking about the same people. They're kind of talking about the same situation. So I flip back to 2 Peter 2. 1 through 4, and 2 Peter, not so much afraid of the call-out. So he gets a little bit more specific where Jude doesn't. So in 2 Peter 2, 1 through 4, he says, But there were also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. Many will follow their depraved conduct and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. In their greed, these teachers will exploit you with fabricated stories. Their condemnation has long been hanging over them, and their destruction has not been sleeping. Okay. So, now that we know kind of who these certain individuals are, so we are talking about false teachers, we are talking about false prophets, we are talking about people who are slipping into their House churches—they're places of faith; these safe places for them, where they are all believers, where they are coming together as one, where they are sharing their faith. People are slipping into these spaces and bringing things that are that are false, or taking things of God and twisting them and turning them. And so that's kind of who Jude is talking about. So then he goes on. I promise that something a little get more positive. <laughs> but first, he goes on and he brings up about six Old Testament and then even some like super old school examples um, that only really these kind of Messianic Jews would know. We don't know exactly specifically who Jude was writing to, but the fact that he is about to use all of these examples means that it's people who he felt like had some knowledge of this. Because he just mentions names like very briefly. Just like, oh, and this person. Oh, and you know this person. Oh, I remember that guy. And it's kind of like, wait, what? I'm sorry, what guy? So I'm going to kind of help you out. And I'm going to be your real quick, like, brief overview of all of these kind of examples that he mentions. He mentions the Israelites who rebelled in the wilderness. So he mentions the Israelites who were kind of given this. I have brought you up out of slavery. I have given you this new life. I have given you this new thing. And then they hit the wilderness, and they're like, oh, this isn't really exactly what we wanted to look like. So, see so ya. Yeah. So he talks about them. He talks about the angels. Um, they are called in Enoch 1. In Enoch 1, they're called sons of God. They're referred to as sons of God, and they rebelled by having sex with women, uh, with human of the earth, and that was what was not intended for them. It's not intended for the women. Um, but they didn't care, so they did it anyways. He brings them up. He brings up Sodom and Gomorrah. Um, yeah, we're going to like, bring all of it into play. So he brings up Sodom and Gomorrah, and he talks about how, um, well, he doesn't necessarily talk about the, the specifics, but in Sodom and Gomorrah, you have a, a group of violent men. Um, you have a particularly depraved city, but specifically a group of violent men um, who are trying to have sex with angels, um, with people who had been sent by God. Um and then he talks about Cain who murdered his brother and then went on to establish a city that was focused on violence and on murder. He talks about Balaam. Forgot about this dude. I had to go like figure this out for a minute. Spend some time with Balaam. So Balaam kind of has some similarities to the Jonah thing where God is like, hey Jonah, go to Nineveh. And Jonah's like, no. Nope. Hey Jonah, go to Nineveh. No. Nope. Um, so Balaam kind of does the same thing. God's like, hey, I need you to do this. And Balaam's like, "Nah." Balaam I need you to go talk to my people I need you to go bless my people I need you to go talk to this king and Balaam's like no and the whole thing is that Balaam doesn't really want to bless Israel he doesn't really want to be a part of that and so Balaam ends up talking to um, a king and he talks a king into kind of cursing Israel and so Balaam was supposed to be this messenger of God supposed to be the voice for God and he turns completely away from that and then leads kind of Israel farther and farther down and then he talks about Korah K-O-R-A-H Korah who led a rebellion against Moses so he gives all of these examples um, in the Old Testament uh, from the Old Testament and then he says and um, another reading volunteer would be great so you guys don't have to keep listening to my voice the whole time but verses 12 through 13, he gets really kind of specific about what they're like and who they are. If anybody wants to read 12 and
2: 13, for real quick. Yes. These are the <laughs> trees at your love, at your love fit, 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 that, that, excuse me, as they feast with you without fear. Shepherds feeding themselves waterless clouds, swept along by winds, furthest trees in late autumn, twice dead, uprooted. Wild waves of the sea, casting up the foam with their own shame, wandering stars, for him the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever.
0: Yes, so um, that was like a, a really quick rundown. And again, we didn't look at those verses specifically, but if you're kind of looking at Jude, then you can look at those verses specifically. So I wanted to take a minute <clears throat> with all of that that we're looking at and with knowing that what Jude is saying is that I wanted to write about salvation, but I can't because I see a crisis. I see something going down. Um, I see individuals who are causing this, um, and then all the kind of examples that he brings up in the Old Testament. Um, I want to give you guys a minute, and you can kind of like just take a couple minutes to talk in your row instead of doing like uh, you know I don't know just kind of talk about it in your in your row with like three or four people, um, and then we can kind of all come back together and talk about it together. But what um, what picture? What kind of picture do you get? about these individuals based on what Jude is telling us. Um, So what are you seeing that's maybe kind of the, the things that they're doing or the things that they are causing the church to do? And then kind of an offshoot of that, how does that apply to us now? Like when we get that visual picture and that visual image of these kind of false prophets and these false teachers and these individuals that he's talking about, does it also bring up a picture in our minds of maybe some some things that we're aware of now, um, currently? So is there any sort of connection that we see? And I'm not, like, please understand, I'm not looking for, like, names. Like, I'm not saying that we like, calling out names, but I'm seeing more of, like, what are some... some reasons, maybe, why faith currently there might be some things kind of slipping in that are are not helpful and are not not keeping the faith but instead kind of perverting the faith and using it for something that it's not. That's,
1: That's really big.
0: That's a lot to think about I maybe should have broken that down a little no. bit more, but let's try. Let's see what happens. Okay, so just kinda of talk about that in your row and then we'll come back and we'll talk about it together. Maybe go ahead and kind of um, stop you wherever your discussion was. Um, I won't necessarily go row by row, but I would love, after you kind of maybe talked it out, thought it through, um, if there's anyone who would like to share what your group was thinking, what maybe someone had said stuck with you, um, what type of picture does this create for us? Who do we feel like we are on the lookout for? Not, I'm sorry, not who specifically but like what types of ideas?
2: Call people out. That's <laughs> fine. Patrick, Sherry, I don't
0: know if I'm emotionally ready for that, but i think I let's do
2: it. Yes. So, so we kind of talked about uh, just social media and like uh, Kat said, like it's not fun to look at some things that people share, and I totally agree with that. Like it almost makes you not want to open your phone. But right. it's like people that you go to church with uh-huh. who are posting things that you're just like, what? Like, have you read the Bible? I I've I kind of experienced that too, and just like. People in church, you will say things. And you're Just like, did you really just say that? Like, I, I've kind of had some experience of that as well. So that's right. I mean.
0: Okay. Okay. So, like, just that we we have so much information that's put out around us all the time, mm-hmm. and so it's it becomes hard to like figure
1: out. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yes, for sure. Else? Something we talked about. Is maybe taking it a little bit different way. Uh huh. But. Very good, thought provoking. Is one reason this was so hard to do is because you don't want to. Yeah. You know, it's very hard to admit that this kind of thing goes on where we belong, mm-hmm. right? It's It's easier to look at it and go, Oh, first century, thousands and thousands of miles away. Absolutely, they had this trouble. Right. It's It's a little harder to look in your and go, yeah that, yeah, that happens here. Well, and it's much easier to look
0: at something as an us versus them. Yes. And then us. We don't have that problem, but like them, they have that problem. But we absolutely, absolutely, I, I agree with that, and I think that yes, and I think that's honestly one of the things that I struggled so much with this class. Like I talked to my husband about it all the time. I was like, ah, like I'm almost scared to open up the floor because it's like I don't like I don't know what's gonna happen. <laughs> I mean, like, but that's the thing is that we have to sometimes do hard things, and we have to sometimes do things that are maybe somewhat uncomfortable. Did anybody else? Yes. There's a theme of displaced passion in the list that was given. Yeah. And then even how people function around it
1: is the us and them mentality. It's, mm-hmm. it's the you know power that comes into play, yes. and so that displaced passion towards power and things that aren't of God,
0: right? Which creates the right. So you have a list full of examples in which instead of God being the number one
1: or getting, love yeah, mm-hmm. God or love or other
0: people and said it's about me myself and the power that I'm gaining through
2: this
0: <clears throat> anyone else? yes
2: uh, one that I pointed out is another issue like just within the faith it's like what's been going on in the Catholic Church with mm-hmm. certain priests and mm-hmm. doing very ungodly things mm-hmm. and these are supposed to be the holy men that we look up towards and mm-hmm. that we follow <coughs> in our
0: staff yes yes absolutely
1: Yes. Um, If I taught a class in my 20s, Mm -hmm. I would teach things one way. If I teach a class in my 40s, I may teach the same lesson a very different way. Mm. That's not to say that what I was teaching in my 20s is necessarily false teaching. It's just not as mature and not as informed and it doesn't reflect the 20 years of personal growth I would have Mm -hmm. had in spiritual growth. Mm -hmm. I think it's very important for us to understand that whoever is teaching look at their context and understand how much mature they mature of the maturity journey they have completed mm-hmm. to that point. So understanding your source and at the same point for the teacher, understand how much of your maturity journey have you done and where are you going. There's a difference between being toxic from the core, which I think mm-hmm. some of these false teachers are, mm-hmm. and just not quite as far along as you should be, Mm -hmm. but you're going and you're sincere and you are on the road, praise the Lord. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right.
0: (laughs) Right, and I think then that's something that we'll hopefully get to here in a minute, but the idea that like you do not have to be perfect to not be a false teacher. Like, the idea of these false teachers and false prophets, I love what you said, that toxic to the core. Like, that is definitely, like, and, and kind of what she was saying, depending on what you are ranking as number one, like if your end goal is power then it's going to be different than just like, oh I just don't have quite the experience and maybe kind of the things that I'm saying aren't quite matching up but I'm trying, versus I'm only saying this because it glorifies me or it puts me in a higher position. Um, I'm going to start kind of talking about some of the things that I noticed, but at any point, raise your hand, jump in, chime in. This is not in any way ending the floor for a discussion. Um, but one of the things that I noticed was that if you group them up, you're looking at the first three, the Israelites, the angels, and then the Sodom and Gomorrah, you're looking at the idea of rebellion, um, which is then followed with kind of divine justice. And then the next three, Cain, Balaam, and Korah, you're looking at the idea of Again, still rebellion, you have people who are rebelling, just hardcore turning from God, but then also who are corrupting others through that rebellion. Um, but I think overall, one of the main things that I saw is that what it is, is it is an abuse of power um, across the board. Um, it is the the examples and, and the people and the things that he's talking about are people who have been placed in a position of power um, either because they they got there through like a regular kind of normal means or because they have pushed their way through the top in maybe a way that it wasn't supposed to be. Um, And then they are abusing that power, Um, taking advantage of people who are lower than them, taking advantage of people who trust them um, because of their power, and skewing it into something um, that is is really very harmful. Um, and in a lot of ways, they're trying to do it through God's grace. Like they're trying to use the idea of God's grace and the idea of faith, and and taking the but taking the power and skewing it to be not a faith that we recognize, um, which is what a lot of times leads people astray. Um, so when I was thinking about that, I thought about. Basically, I think at the heart of what Jude is saying is that your response to God's grace is a it's a life-changing response. It alters your whole life, not just the things that you're saying, but your whole life, which I think kind of gets back to maybe some of what he was originally saying about social media, which is that if you are fully responding to God's grace, then it isn't something that just changes one part of your life. It just means that your Sunday mornings look different. It means that your whole entire life looks different. And again, not perfect, and your life is a continual journey and a continual change, but it is a response to his grace in which your whole life looks different. And what Jude comes to again and again is the depraved conduct of these teachers. And that's what I think is so interesting to me about Jude is that he's not even harping out about their exact theology or exactly what they're saying. He says that they're denying Jesus as the one and only true God, so we know that, that like... The idea of that, but then he keeps on harping about their conduct and the fact that these are teachers who are coming and they are saying that they're part of the faith, they are saying that they are Christians, they are saying that this is something that they believe in, and yet their conduct isn't matching up with that because they believe that because of where they are and because of who they are, anything becomes permissible. Um, and I like, I think again, like, like you were saying, it is so. Difficult to talk about that because um, when we hear things like contend for the faith, um, we're like, yes. And we want to fight for that faith. And we want to fight for that faith at the expense of anything and everything that is happening. And so the idea that there could be maybe something that has snuck into our faith that is not worthy, us admitting that means that we're admitting that our faith is not perfect. And we get worried about that. We get super, super worried about that. And so we think that this is something that we can't talk about. And we think that this is something that we can't really like have a discussion about. Because, and sometimes the discussion might end in, okay, so maybe this isn't a rotten to the core situation. Maybe this is a situation that needs growth. But then sometimes the situation is super, super toxic. Um, And I think that we are starting to see in some ways kind of a purging of that and I, I maybe that's too strong of a word but, but we're starting to see this kind of happen I honestly and I think this is maybe why like Patrick mentioned that this, is, this, is, this course is being taught by all women so I think as a um, woman as someone who has grown up in the church um, one of the things that hit me immediately upon reading kind of just the idea of the abuse of power and then especially I think the physicalness of so much of what he was talking about is the idea of this kind of, the Me Too movement, and how the Me Too movement has started, and it started in a place that was not the church first. Um, And so at first, I think there was a very, like, us versus them thing. Like, this is things that other people deal with, and this is not something that the church deals with. Um, And I think that Jude is telling us, I think that what Jude specifically maybe is telling us today is that, that we cannot have that mentality. Because when we have that mentality, I think that that's when those abuses of power slip in. Um, And then I think that us being able to say, to see that and to be able to call it out and say, "This, this does happen and we have to be able to recognize it and we have to be able to call it out when it happens and understand that our faith is bigger than that. Understand that true faith, that faith that requires a life response, is not is not that, and it is not harmed by the fact that we can look at something and say this is not of us, this is not something that we do. Um, and so the fact that it exists is not something that harms our faith. But if we choose to ignore it and to just let it kind of slip in and to let it take over, then we have these Old Testament examples that he's talking about these these four rebellions and kind of these things that happen. Um, and so. That was, I think, as I was reading through kind of the first things. And again, it's, it's by no means the only thing. Um, but that was one of the things that struck me and that kind of hit me um, in reading through this. Um, but I think ultimately what it comes down to, too, is just the idea of when you, when, when you are aware of, a, like, a perversion of God's grace. Um, and using God's grace to say everything is permissible, everything is okay. Um, it's fine if I do this because I'm, I'm in this position, so this is okay. Like that, that's when things get worrisome or that's when things get troublesome. We're about to move on to the really helpful part. Does <laughs> anybody have anything else, any other kind of thoughts or whatever on that? Okay. Um, it's okay if you do. Woo, okay. All right. Um, so, Jude closes, so he said contend for the faith at the beginning, but he doesn't really tell you how, so then he closes with kind of telling us how to contend for the faith. Um, so if I have someone else who would love to reach uh, verses 17 through 23, since I've kind of been
1: talking for a just 17 through 23, the end of Jude. you? But dear friends, remember what the apostle of our Lord Jesus Christ had told they said to you, in the last times, there will be scoffers who will follow, who will follow their own ungodly desires. These are the people who divide you, who follow mere natural instincts and do not have the Spirit. But you, dear friends, by building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. Be merciful to those who doubt. Save others by like snatching them from the fire show uh, show to others show mercy mixed with your painting even the public
0: brush okay so this is where he kind of gets into so i've asked you to contend for the faith i've told you all the reasons why you should contend for the faith and then this is how um, and the how is where it got even more interesting to me um, because i think that i expected more of some of the other things that we have seen, like shut the door on evil and, you know, just very, like, I was expecting kind of more like fighting type language. Um, and he does it. He rolls it back, um, which, which I was like, oh, okay. Um, and so I think our responsibilities in, in contending for the faith and dealing with this get very interesting because he says that, first of all, remember that faith is the good news. First of all, remember that faith is sacrifice, that faith is a God who has called you, who has loved you, and who has kept you, which is what he says at the very beginning. He says to those who have been called, to those who have been loved, and to those who have been kept. And so I think that he's saying to stay in that knowledge, to stay in that faith, to believe in that. And then he says prayer in the Spirit. And so he kind of continues building on this foundation. So if the foundation is your faith, if the foundation is who you know you are, who you know yourself to be, and your brothers and sisters to be, then you're, then the next step that you take is the praying in the spirit. Um, and then the next thing is love of God, and love of God through obedience. So it's love of God through continuing to walk day after day, trying to do what he's asked us to do, trying to do what he requires us to do. So if you're praying in the Spirit, you're loving God through obedience, um, and then the last thing he asks you to do is to stay alert, to be aware, um, to not bury your heads in the sands, um, to not say, I'm, not, I'm putting my blinders on, I'm not going to look at anything else, um, but to be aware of what's happening and what's happening to your other brothers and sisters of what other people are going through, um, and, and to be aware and to help people, to help people to stay in the faith, to pray in the Spirit, to love God through obedience. And so that's how he asks for us to contend through the faith. He does not ask us to be his judgment. He does not ask us to be his sword, his right hand. None of those things are what he asks us to be. What he asks us to do is to kind of stay in that space of of our faith and to know our faith and to know what our faith is and to continue to kind of shine that light and to be that light, Um, which which I thought was was very interesting to me. Um, And then... The doxology, the last two verses, to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. So after giving you the whole, this is how we contend for the faith, this is what I expect you to do, this is what we need you to do. He then ends with the doxology, which reminds you that you cannot do it on your own. That I'm asking you to do these things that I've, that, you know, this is what we want you to do, but then also, you can't do it by yourself. And so, to the God who is able to keep you from stumbling, who is able to present you without fault and without blemish, um, because we're not perfect, we're going to mess up and we're going to make mistakes, and um, things will happen. But we have a God who has called us who has loved us, and who has kept us. And that's something that we kind of just rolled through at the beginning, but I wanted to make sure that we hit it at the end, that that's how Jude starts at the very beginning of Jude. He says, to those who have been called, who are loved in God the Father, and who are kept for Jesus Christ. Um, and as I studied Jude this week, those are the words that I kept on coming back to. Um, and so those are kind of the words that I want to leave you with as we go out into the week as we contend for the faith, as we pray in the spirit, as we love God through our obedience, to remember that we are called, we are loved, and we are kept. Um, and that is that is, <laughs> that is what I got from Jude. So I'm actually going to say a prayer to end us off, and then we'll be finished up for today. Thank you, God, so much for this opportunity to come together as a group, um, to come together in a room of believers and to talk through the hard things, God, Um, to think about um, what it means to follow you, to think about what it means to be your child, God, and I thank you that you give us continual reminders. I thank you that you have called us. I thank you that you love us, and I thank you that you have kept us. Um, I pray that you continue to protect us from stumbling. That you continue to help us keep the faith as we go throughout our week. Thank you so much for your son,
2: and it's in his name that we pray. Amen. It's okay with a round of applause. Look at the snaps. (laughs) That was great. That was great. Very great. Uh, Before you get out of here, uh, a couple things there's donuts up here. yourself to a donut before the middle schoolers come and eat everything that is there. Um, Also, and another good reminder, when we're in these spaces, the the reason, one of the big reasons why we have these Sunday morning classes, growth experiences, things like this, is so that we make what is big in that auditorium very small and very intimate and, and an opportunity for connection. So don't miss out on that by... Make sure to meet the people around you, not just looking at the back of their heads, uh, but like shaking a hand, giving a high five, learning your name, that's what this is all about, is that we stay connected, that we learn each other, because this is more than just like uh, a mall. We worship <laughs> together, we like sing some songs in there, like we did some prayers and we ate like bread and juice. We can meet each other and not be weird because We're all in this thing together. Don't forget that. Okay, go in peace.